0: Welcome to the All About You podcast. My name is Sheila and I am your host. In this podcast, I invite people to tell their stories of their travels, hobbies and passions. These podcasts are also now available on my All About You YouTube channel. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on Podcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story. Welcome to the All About You podcast. And my guest today is Paul. Now, Paul wears so many different hats. Chef, fundraiser, playwright, musician, singer, songwriter, author and poet, just to name a few. So I'm delighted to have Paul with me today and I know it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank
1: you, Sheena. Pleasure to be here.
0: Paul, where do we start with this great long list?
1: Um, I don't know. Should we start uh, maybe the beginning from my childhood, maybe? Okay, let's, let's, go, let's for go for it. From there. So,
0: as a child then, what were your hobbies and passions?
1: So, as a child, I loved inventing stories. I, I spent all my time when my mother was uh, working in the kitchen, sitting at the kitchen table, just writing stories for her, really, and entertaining her. She would come and read them, and so I loved doing that. I even, at home, started a newspaper which I typed on one. I had one of those typewriters where you, you turned a dial to get, oh to get the gosh, thing. So it was a very yeah. slow process, no? And I produced a home newspaper with such wonderful headlines as Mother Says New Washing Machine Has Changed Her Life and Boy Brings Home Abandoned Partridge Chicks. <laughs> And even things like more inventive, like spaceship from Mars lands on neighbor's roof and things like this, you know, police looking for a green green man in the area.
0: I I think that is absolutely brilliant because if you think of a lot of households now, you can have four family members on different devices doing their own thing. Yes. To have a, a, a newspaper in what is going on with everybody's life. I think exactly. And I would do
1: really bad drawings of my mother cleaning and things like that. But, I mean, but it was such bad. But I love doing it. So, I mean, it was, I even included a horoscope... And a letters page and things like all invented, and all you know, but just having looked, and I even tried a crossword at one point just to have you
0: still got any of these. I haven't, unfortunately. I've oh, had
1: um, we cleared out when my mother died, um, we cleared out, and I hoped we might find something, oh. but but I mean, just for room because she's moved from our original house to another smaller apartment, so something had to go, so presumably they're gone always encouraged at school. I had a very good uh, English teacher there who, who encouraged me to write. I don't know, I, I could always remember just, strange enough, being in a bath one time, probably 10 or 11, and I suddenly thought, maybe you could be a writer. How do you be a writer? What do you do? And I thought, you must just write. <laughs> and then hopefully th- that, something happens. And so I, that was it. And I had I'd no idea. But then I, I think in my mind that set me to say, I think I would always do it, whatever happens, whatever happens to my... I would always do this because it gives me such pleasure to express myself. And I think that's when I realized that I always, whatever in life, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is expressing myself. Be it via writing, playing my guitar, music, be it cooking, I love cooking, or anything that's just that you express yourself. And for me, I. I find it difficult to understand anybody who doesn't have something where they where they do that. say, oh, I have no need for that. Because for me, that's it's, it almost seems the reason that's for being here. I don't know. But it's something that I'm passionate about, really. I can remember at school, they're very encouraging, but I, uh, I remember having a meeting with a careers advisor and I told him what I wanted. I said, I want to be a writer. But he said, ah, so you want to be a journalist? And I thought, is that what I want to be? I wasn't sure. I mean, when you're... 12, 13 years of age. No, I, I wasn't sure. Anyway, the school steered me into secretarial college, which I'm really grateful for. I learned how to type properly and learn how to do shorthand. And they sent me to work experience at a local shoe factory, I always remember, uh, working on their in-house magazine. But that was enough to realise that possibly that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, you know. I mean, scanning the headlines, things like sales of casual shoes up by 10%, you know, hole stitcher retires after 35 years, <laughs> didn't exactly film, fill me with passion, I'm afraid <laughs> to say. But, uh, so, I mean, I, but I had a little bit of... I, 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 they, there was an opportunity that maybe they would have taken me on at the end of the work experience, but I don't think... I'm glad they didn't, and in the end, I probably uh, ruined my chances by writing... They asked me to write a few things, and I remember writing one headline that said, Firing shoe factory soul destroying, says manager <laughs> with soul so <laughs> Ellie uh, which they didn't they obviously didn't have a sense of humor, they didn't find amusing. I thought it was really you know a, a new take on it, but anyway, it didn't happen. so I, I, I realized that it was good I think sometimes it's good to realize what you don't want to do uh, more, more, sometimes more than what you do want to do, because no? you could spend an awful like ten years working somewhere and then waking up one morning and saying actually, I, I'm not enjoying this, I've never enjoyed it, why am I doing this? That's
0: I mean, a very valid point, I think, particularly in careers, isn't it? So, you know, you can work your way up the career ladder mm. and then find it's propped up against the wrong wall. Find yourself
1: in I mean, especially because some jobs you alter through, you know, you start here and then you move through there and you suddenly find yourself doing a job that's miles away from what you first started, your idea, you know? And it's, 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 yes, very difficult. So it
0: served its purpose it working did. in the Exactly, factory, it, yeah. exactly
1: it did. And then, and then another teacher said, maybe publishing is a way in. If you can. So I then got a job. I was working in London. And I got a job for a, a booksellers and publishers. They were a medical booksellers and publishers in Gower Street, really nice, nice It was great for me because I got a job in the library, checking out books and cataloguing books and things like that, which was fascinating. But the best thing was... But I had a lot of time on my hands waiting while well, there wasn't clients coming in for, for that. And so I spent all my time reading. And so, I mean, I wasn't really interested in the medical books. There were some there which uh, I give you nightmares. I didn't really. Oh, I'm, sure. I, I'm not being a medical person, I let that. But I was fascinated by the philosophy and psychiatry and things like that. So I worked my way through the whole works of Freud and Jung. And I remember Eric Burns' Games People Play, which was really a book that, I, that really uh, impressed me. So that so that was really good as well. But I realised then again that this I wasn't going to go anywhere with this firm. They, once they'd got me into the, they said, oh yes, we'll move you around into publishing. But after three and a half years, I was still in the library, and I'd run out of stuff, things to read. Then, so I thought, okay. But in the meantime, I started writing um, plays. I got suddenly got into plays at that time. I was writing short stories and poetry. At that time, there were lots of small theatres in London, as well as the Royal Court and places like that, the Soho Poly. There were, there were little, um, which was great, really, uh, theatres in the pubs, you know, in, the, in, in, in small rooms in pubs, uh, just room enough for 30 people to sit crammed in, you know, and it's brilliant and brilliant. So I was, I, I was going around there, leaving, well, I think that were unproducible plays, you know, with a cast of, you know, 50 for, for a small uh, for a small room. But, uh, but yeah, all without success. But it was good. It was good training to, to working on it. So that was the start then. And then um, the partner I was with there got a job in Lincolnshire. So I moved to Lincolnshire. And I got many jobs there. So I've been, I've been a buyer for a, for a cosmetic factory. I worked for a firm that shipped excavators all around the world. I ended up hod-carrying at one point. And, you, and they can't see me, but you can see me that I'm not necessarily... The physique for hod-carrying, I haven't <laughs> not got. It was hard work, but but it, again, it paid the rent. But I still wanted to to follow my... Especially the playwriting. So I thought, well, how do you do this? So there was a local uh, touring theatre company in the area, uh, a professional one. And they are, they're brief was to take professional theatre to, to the outlying areas of Lincolnshire and Humberside, those places that didn't have a major theatre, but they would make sure it's professional theatre, but they would gear it up so it could be performed in whatever was available, in schools or in village halls or whatever, but bring in that. So I thought, well, this is good anyway. I mean, I was, So I just introduced myself one day and tapped myself and said, here I am. I don't want paying. I'll just do anything you need me to do. I want to understand the business of the theatre, so they they thought this is good—a pair of hands, cheap, not you know. So I ended up there. I was a dog's body basically, scene shifting, uh, selling programmes, working in the wardrobe, uh, anything, anything, painting the flats. Sort of. And so this this was a company called Great Eastern Stage with a, a brilliant director called Ken Frost. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. He got used to me being there. Uh, yeah, I was like becoming permanent fixture. With it. So. And one day he said, oh, okay, he knew by then I, I was interested in writing. I dropped little hints about what I wanted to do. And he said, okay, well, you come into the rehearsals and I want you to write a diary of the rehearsal every day. Just a little, you know, what went on, things like that. So I did that. Uh, and at the end of rehearsals, I gave it to him. He said, that's great. I'm like, that. so we put it in the programme. So it became then a regular occurrence. I would go into the rehearsal and I'd write some funny things, some serious things, just talking about the development of the play and what the problems were and but to say some funny things that went on and things like that. And then I say that would give a nice background for the for the programme. It was also good, just another way of me proving to him that I could put pen to paper and come up with something. So eventually I think he got tired of me, you know, looking hopefully like like, like a lap dog sort of set sort of, <laughs> like waiting for food, you know. And eventually he commissioned me to write a, a short piece, well, on the proviso that he liked it, he's even with that, so, and he, which he was pleased with, that uh, was good. Um, it was called Scream of the Butterfly, and it ended up in a compilation of, uh, uh, with lots of other uh, writers. I mean, but, when I say writers, uh, poetry by T.S. Eliot, some pieces from Beckett and, and, and Pinter and things like this. So it was a little daunting, because it was my first professional piece. And to be alongside all these all these different illustrious writers now but anyway it was it was really good for me to do it was well received and so after that I started writing more short pieces for them which we which we did in the compilation from there okay here we go so then my partner got a job in North Devon so we moved from Lincolnshire to North Devon I, I go there and I thought okay well that worked in Lincolnshire, so I followed the same plan. You know, once you once you have a patent, you think, okay, let's see. So I attached myself to another local theatre, very similar brief, but this time to take professional theatre to Devon, Cornwall, and around that area. This was Orchard Theatre, and so I, I, I attached with them. I ended up working as a secretary for them. Funnily enough, I just found the programme the other day, which says. Poor when he's not writing, he's the secretary here. Uh, yeah. So anyway, they commissioned me as well to write a musical because the, the director knew that I played the guitar. Also employed a musical director, a, a really uh, excellent musical director called Cliff Atkinson. So he wrote the music and we worked together. I wrote the lyrics of the songs and he wrote the music of the songs and then I wrote the book for, for the play. And it was uh, seven deadly sins. It was based on seven deadly sins. It was it was a humorous piece because the director had said to me, "There, we had only eight um, cast in the cast." And I thought, "So that's perfect. Seven sins and the devil." And so that was the. That was it. But they also the idea was that the show looked at each individual sin with each one. Seven of the actors playing the main part, be it gluttony or envy or whatever. With the other actors then playing acting around. That, that scene with the devil as the as the link between all of them basically so that toured the the west country i mean cliffy and i lived in hope that we'd be picked up by the west end and we'd end up in broadway or something like that you know it didn't work but there you go but it was a wonderful experience it was really really good yes i loved it
0: listening to your story here i mean just just sort of backpedalling mm. a bit to your sure. your job sure in the medical library yes you use that job okay I've got all this time what am I going to do I'm going to work my way through all these books yes I think that's brilliant and, and it's coming across that okay what shall I do you're not afraid to try you're not afraid to put yourself out there
1: I think you have to I think as uh, it's okay you yes you what you do have to do as a writer is sit down and write and do that that's that I mean that's that's something that I tell everybody that that's what you do have to do that's the and you also have to edit and, and 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 rewrite and rewrite. You have to be hungry for, for, uh, for knowledge, you know? You have to want to know about people, you have to want to know about situations. And I think that if you sit in a room and just invent, and that's fine, the what I gained from from the theatre was was wonderful because I because it was the interaction with everybody that I worked with, the actors, the designer, and things like that. That in itself is just wonderful inspiration, no? and it just keeps you. Especially seeing other creative people working, it's really good for you. And you can always learn because every creative skill, I think, can be adapted to another skill. Now, if you watch, you see a painter painting, and it's the same thing. A painter will work on a piece and do this and, do a sketch, you know, and then take that from there to, to a wonderful oil painting. And I always think that sometimes people writing think, oh, you know, it's just one draft and it's done. I mean, no, that is just for me, just like a sketch, you know, and then you take it and you keep changing, adding a little bit of colour here, a little bit there, or, or removing, you no, know, and not overdoing it. Again, a lot of my painter friends say sometimes it's very difficult to know when to stop. And leave alone. You can destroy a painting by going too far.
0: And I I think that's the interesting point, isn't it? As a writer, I imagine, you know, you sit down, right, I'm going to write a poem, a story, an essay, or or whatever you're Mm. writing. You've got the blank page. But from just daily life, the people you meet, situations, events that happen, nothing is off limits. Exactly. You know, it's exactly just you so. just don't know who you're going to bump into, what you're going to see, what you're going to... Oh, that's really good. Two women are arguing and, and in the supermarket. And you never know when it's going
1: to be useful in writing because I mean, I'm a great believer of writing. I, 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 I do have plans sometimes for short stories and things like that. And, but sometimes I, there is just, I may start with just a line or just a character, just a, somebody of interest. And then you start with that line. I'm a great believer in seeing where they take me. And I really mean you know, where they're going to lead me to. And sometimes it's really surprising. You think, oh, yeah, she's going to go here, but then suddenly you find yourself in another. But if you have other lots of different experiences within you, then you can, that you can draw upon those. And so I think I have a wealth of characters, multi-schizophrenic, I think, in many ways. <laughs> I have all these different characters within me that are just knocking on a door to come out, and so all I have to do is find the right door to let them out, I think, and then, and then they just appear and take over, you know? and I just let them, hopefully, they just carry on. I wish they wrote it on their own, but I just still have to get up in the morning and, and sit down and do it, but uh, I wish sometimes I could just get up and go, oh, they've done it overnight, but no, they don't do that. So there, so that was, that was brilliant, so I love I that. But then, uh, unfortunately, Orchard uh, Theatre... They got their arts council grant reduced. This was the time when there was money was tight, you no, know, which meant they could no longer commission new work. So where their brief, they could commission new stuff, which is good, and it's the it's the bread and butter of new writers coming in, though, So it's essential, but times were hard, and so they then had to stick to tried and tested pieces, doing Shakespeare and Beckett, which is all wonderful, don't be wrong, it's brilliant. But for me and the likes of me, it suddenly closed the door, you no, know, so. So there I was in North Devon, which I'd fallen in love with. I actually loved North Devon, uh, coming from London and things, but it, for me it was just beautiful. I just loved the rugged coastline and the countryside and everything. So I still continued moving from place to place, writing, sending stuff off all around the country. I mean, it, it was a tif- that was a difficult time. I wasn't getting a lot of income then. I, I was saying to a friend the other day that. And in those days, I typed. There was no, I didn't have a computer. Just typed on a. So everything was done with, with carbon copies. To, so you could, So you'd send a play off to a company, and you would you would never get it back unless you put return postage within it. Right? And of course, you had to weigh up the cost, the different costs between the postage or paper, because if because I thought, well, I could type this again, okay. Or, uh, and, and and then send that off, or I could pay the postage and have it sent back to me. And so it was really, it was a, so. just going you. add times are hard when you're actually thinking that I can't do both. I've got to either spend it, the money on paper or postage, and it was that was that sort of. But that's the way it is, you no? Know? So, but in the end, I realised I had to do something to pay the rent, and this wasn't going to do it easily. And I'd always loved cooking. Um, I would spend hours in the kitchen. My mother was a, was a reasonable cook, a family cook, you know, for the for, for us and the family. But my grandmother, my father's mother, she was my hero. We would go there for Sunday nights. There would be 15 people of the family who would come. And almost without realising, she would be cooking this wonderful roast meal for 15 people, laying the table, doing everything. And then she would clear it all away, do the washing up, and then at 5 o'clock there would be tea laid out for 15 people. I mean, all with... I just... I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. So I would just follow her around, just watching what she did. And in the end, I would help her. I would do various things. And I loved it. I, was, I really loved it. And so I thought, OK, I looked around, because North Devon being a tourist area, what sort of career, what could you do to earn a living that's going to still always be here? And so I thought, well, OK, they're always going to need uh, caterers. So I got a job in a local takeaway, first off, just... Cooking fish and chips and burgers by the beach, which was which was great. I did that, and I thought, oh well, this is still carrying on writing. I didn't see this as a career. I just saw it as a as a way to pay the rent. I then got a job in the local pub down there, helping out there, and they said, okay, do you want a, a more permanent job? And I thought, okay, well, I'll do this just seasonal, maybe just just for the summer. But then they said to me, okay how do you feel about going to catering college? You actually enjoy it, but would you like to learn how to do it properly? You know, I mean, but more... So, uh, okay, that's great. So they sent me then one day a week for three years to catering college. So I got my city and guilds, one, two, three, and did that. And, and I was loving it then, because it was really good, and I was learning as well, and then coming from the college and then adapting and, and working that with, within the restaurant, really enjoying it. And they were really good. They gave, the people that I worked for gave me a free hand, you know, very good. And then the boss that was there, one of them moved to Australia, so I became the head chef there. And then the other boss, who loves sailing, catamaran sailing, he said to me one morning, he said, I want to go to Florida to sell catamarans. Um, how do you feel about managing the pub while I'm away? It might be for a year, depending how it goes in Florida, it may be longer. Okay, so I spoke to my partner would quite often help me at the weekends. She would come, to, come and work in the, in the weekends anyway and, and work behind the bar in the, in the pub simply because that was the only way to see me because I was working such unsociable hours, as, as what catering is, always unsociable hours. No? So I was working every weekend and bank holiday. So she would just come along at weekends in order, so we could have a conversation and <laughs> see each other. So um, I spoke to her and we decided to take it on together with her basically handling the front of house as I still call it my theatre back, back around the front of house and me being backstage in the kitchen basically. So she would handle the, the bar and things like that. So we did that. It was a very seasonable pub. Easter in September, it was packed with tourists. And I love I mean, I loved working in a busy kitchen. the adrenaline on a Saturday night was just just amazing. Because I would then have like Six or eight staff working in the, during the height of the summer, and that's that wonderful feeling at the end of, of of the session where you sit down and have a glass of wine or a beer or something and and laugh about all the things that that went on. No? But it's it's the camaraderie is is it, brilliant, which is something i would missed out for as a writer. I think Sometimes when you're you're just writing on your own that it's just really nice to have that group feeling of of, of creating something, and that's again going back to the theatre when you realise that. A, a theatre a plays is, is all about everybody and all their input you know? and it's 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 that wonderful experience of creating something as a group which is which is brilliant.
0: I mean know? this is the thing isn't it, a lot of chefs say a restaurant is a stage. Exactly. You know you've got all the backstage people as exactly you Exactly so and it's and drama I tell you there's so yeah, much oh, drama that goes drama. Drama.
1: on because you never know I mean you know, and you know what's going on and so it's always, it's, there's always you're working and, and and again, it's like the, it's like a play because it's immediate. Right? It's not like a, a television production where you can you can redo it again. You can't you know, stop, that, and, you can't start, stop start and go, because if you if your meal is ruined, then that's you know that's it. You only get one chance of doing it in the same way as when you're performing a play. That's there and then, though it's it's live. Yeah. And I think that's that wonder of it. That's that brilliance, you know that this is happening now. Now and you're doing it, and that's that just making sure that you, you do that every time each time you create it properly you know and I think that's that's wonderful
0: I mean working yeah. in catering is not for the faint hearted no it really isn't I mean as you said it's totally unsociable hours in theory it's not that well paid no, unless no. you are one of these celebrity. no it's not.
1: and especially going back when I started there it was not at all uh, I mean I just go so eventually i just said Jackie and I went Eventually, when the boss came back, we decided, okay, we're going to buy our own place. And so we bought another pub in the, on the edge of Exmoor, which I love. But just going back to what you were saying, um, we had a, a survey come, not survey, a survey, a, a census, you know, a 10 year census. And Jackie, my wife, said to me, Oh, I've done your census. And they had to say how many hours you worked. She said, I put you down as 85, she said. She said, but I didn't count all those times when you're thinking about about menus and things like that. That was literally just the physical side of it, no? 85 hours. But because when you're working that it's your life, no? It's like 24-7. But if you enjoy doing it, it it's not hard work. It's not hard work. It's just It just becomes something you do. It's like breathing. It's like breathing. And I used to love getting up in the morning and going down to the beach and Seeing the fish as it comes in and buying that, and then working out what menu I would do, and then go off to the market and look at the produce that was there and buying, and all the while thinking, ah, oh, this is what I'm doing. What soup shall I do today? What special shall I do today? All inspired by what you've got fresh produce there, not waking up with that idea and then going looking for that. But the produce is inspiring you to, to cook. You know? I
0: think that's a very valid point, isn't mm. it, as to where your restaurant was, as mm. you say so close to the sea and you can actually go down there exactly. see the catch coming in and you know as opposed to phoning somebody somewhere and exactly place, so. have you, you could have a
1: look at everything and see there i I very lucky you have to go to the farmer's markets and look there and so you have fresh vegetables lovely cheeses and hams and things like that so wonderful produce there i mean it's you're for choice you've got a larder that's just so so wonderful so that was, that was brilliant, and also again because of my love to create, I, I and because we were we were a small village, only four hundred and fifty people in the actual village, and they were all very good customers, but we we needed more, so we had to attract people from outside. We had and we had to give a reason for someone to drive from their own village, where they may have a, a restaurant, and pass three other restaurants to come to us. Now you have to, so we started doing uh, food evenings. I would research, and I did. I did Tudor evenings, so all the food from the Tudor Tudor times. I did the Elizabethan evening, and try. I tried to recreate them as 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 much as possible. I remember doing a Roman, all very interesting, and wonderful. And then I would do the normals like Mexican and Korean, Vietnamese, or whatever. And the idea was we would put those up during the quieter evenings, like like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever. Just do it for thirty people so that everyone was there and I would talk to them about the, the menu, ha, ha, the history maybe of the food and things like this, and then just present it. We even did um, an Orient Express evening. So we started off in um, Paris with a French onion soup, and then we moved from station to station. We finished in, in, in Istanbul with a baklava, but we moved from station to station having a dish typical of the, of the country, from each station that, that they stopped at on the way on the Orient Express. That just
0: sounds <laughs> phenomenal. And That's everybody wonderful. was dressed Every, to the nines. Everyone nine. was dressed
1: to the nines. And we even turned the restaurant into a carriage. So we, it looked like a, it, the carriage of, of a train. No? And I had and over, over the head, I had train noises, of course, coming over the speakers. Oh my and then music, and then music, train noises. And then as they got to the station, music from a particular country that they had, and then back to the train again. And it was so funny because I did that and then. Uh, about two years later, somebody said to me, Paul, do you know we're stuck in Istanbul? Can we come back? So I had to do it in reverse and start with a starter in Istanbul and bring them back to Paris so they could get back. So I, said, I felt sorry for them. They were stuck in Istanbul for two years. But for me, again, you see, it was something that I loved doing because it, it had the research of of the history of like the Orient Express and finding all about that. And then looking into the history of the food where we were going to different countries where we were going to, and then the music of going with that and doing the recording. And then I would come out and give a talk about it and things like that. So that was my theatrical side coming out. So it just, it ticked all my boxes. I, I just cannot
0: boxes. comprehend how much work.
1: Yes, it was a lot of work. It was, a, yeah, it was. It, I mean, and so what we would do, if, if one evening filled up and it's 30, then I just put on the poster by popular request, Tuesday night or Wednesday night, and then we would do another 30, and then we would keep filling it. So if it filled three nights or four nights, that's how many we would do. But it was good for us because we knew how many people were coming in. And so if I say if, if it was only thirty people that wanted to come, that's fine. That's all I needed to to expend ingredients on, no? But if there was more interest, we would do it as long as as long as people wanted it.
0: I think that is I would have been on that list so so far. Yeah, we had people
1: coming along. It was really nice. I had regular people that were coming along, always asking. And then of course because of my music we um I had music night, guitar and so uh we formed a band the pubs at which we played in the pub, but then we started playing elsewhere as well. They they'd be poor we've got we've got gigs elsewhere. So what they would do is that I would I would on that evening I would make sure I'd finish food like ten o'clock and then I would and then we'd come there and I would dash in the van and we'd drive off to the next pub, maybe, and perform mm-hmm. then from half past ten until midnight or whatever, and then come back. So, uh, yeah, that, that was great. Again, so so, so it, you
0: must have just survived on adrenaline for three years, running pub. I think I did. The we even,
1: yeah, I did. We, yeah. And then we even started a music festival. The village the, the, was called Goodly. Each member of the band is convinced that they were the ones that thought of this idea. We, this, we were going to have this uh, music festival, which we did our, uh, uh, every August Bank Holiday for three days. It was wonderful because all the village was involved. All the village would sell programmes and, and and do a barbecue and and help out and and be uh, and we had we had um, in the village we had nurses and things like that that did first days, so they would be there, and uh, so, and people that clear and even farmers that would just bring along bales of hay for people to sit on and while they were watching. In the end, we had two because uh, we had a paddock, um, so we had two stages. In the end, there we had a skittle alley which we used for acoustic music, and so for three days we had continuous music. It was local bands, including our band of course, but local bands. There that none of which got paid, and everything that we got from the selling of the program and donations and the money from the barbecue all went to a charity we would elect each year we would elect what charity it was and it was normally two charities we would normally have something bigger could be a cancer charity could be a help children or whatever but but also we would have a small charity something that would help a, a, a small school to to get another books for the library or or something that they needed you know? so it's always the idea was that there was something you could really see and then there was something else that that also that we could help with and you know? so I was it was really good the village was called Goodly of course the music festival was called Goodstock we had to call it Goodstock because it, but each each member of the band is convinced that they were the ones that of course I know that I was the one but I mean but yeah each one says oh it was my idea to call it Goodstock anyway so that that was wonderful so so we did that for for many a year and then what happened well six years ago I either came to my senses or lost them. I'm not sure. But the jury's still out on that. But we decided that enough was enough because we'd we'd been there then for thirty years, and it was don't be wrong. I absolutely loved it, but I think that I just there was just one one morning I was getting out of bed and it was a bit dark, and I knew I had to go down to the, to get the fish, and my heart wasn't in it, and, and I thought, okay, that's not good. It was a beginning, a first sign for me to say maybe the novelties, and I always think in. business or any business i think really your heart's got to be there If not especially you're dealing with customers if it's not then they soon recognize that and it's soon you lose you lose them because there's nothing worse than someone just going through the motion or doing a job that you can feel that they're not really enjoying doing for me you have to push the passion to the customer no there's no point if you You know, if you're you're not interested in it, then you can't, why should they spend their good-earned money on something that you're just not interested in in producing? Uh, Jackie and I said, okay, let's, so she said, okay, well, that's good. And I said, well, I'd like to go back to writing again, because it's something I, my first love. Okay, she said, fine, but I'd like to, I'd like to move somewhere warm. And I said, okay, and I said, we've been coming to Spain, holidays, of course. And Valencia was always on top of our list. We we decided that. So, in the end, we decided to move here. It was great. Uh, Well, it was great, as I say, but the best laid plans go awry, though. Because sadly, within six months, uh, Jackie caught pneumonia here, and she sadly died. So, here I was. I, I hardly knew anybody in Valencia. Uh, my spanish at that time was really poor it's not brilliant now but at that time i i only knew how to ask for a beer and say good morning you know? and so and a lot of people thought i would return to the uk i know my brother came over and he said why did not you come back um, but i suddenly i just knew that i had to stay here i had to i had to continue here and i'm glad i i did that but it was a very hard time i want to say now that one of the things that that got me through this hard time i came across a book by a female writer, Canadian, called Megan Devine, who also had lost her husband. He died in a... he drowned off the beach. One one morning, there they are enjoying it. She's on the beach. She's, he's only 40 years of age, and he, he dies. And she realised that she couldn't get support for this. Nobody seemed to understand what she was going through, and there didn't seem to be any, anything that she could find the information of what to do, how to handle it. So she thought, well, I'll have to do it. So she wrote a book and the book is called It's OK That You're Not OK. For me, it was a lifesaver for me. It really got me out of, of the depression. I was I was moving into a depression, which I think a lot of people do. Um, it really but it did really bring me out of that. She also has a website called Refuge in Grief. But one of the things that also helped me, I joined a, a writer's group. She has a writer's group on Facebook. You don't have to be a, a writer, the, the idea, again, is just to express yourself. And she would give a prompt every day, for 30 days, you just do it for 30 days. She gives you a prompt, and maybe a, a little line here and there, or a, or a section from another poem, talking about just things that people are going through with grief, loss, and, you know, and, and the pain, and, uh, and loneliness, and all those things. And the idea was just to write a poem about it, or, or not a poem, or a piece of prose, but just to express it. And um, what was good then, we would post it on the Facebook page, just amongst ourselves, and share it, and talk amongst ourselves about it. You know? and, and it was such a good experience to be around people that understood where you were coming from, who were, who were living that same experience. English people, I think, and the Western world, we find it very difficult to speak about death. It's something that we brush out of the carpet as if it as if it never happened. It's never so going to it's happen. It's never going yeah. to happen, no? And we I think sometimes we're embarrassed by it. We are embarrassed by it. And I think and, and and I think as well sometimes we're embarrassed about expressing our emotions about it, no? And and people are embarrassed if they see somebody expressing their emotions, you know. If you're there and a man is crying in front of you you know, in a supermarket. It's a really difficult thing, and and, and a lot of people's inclination is to walk around and go to another supermarket, no? And and it's not, it's no criticism. I just think that we are just very bad about accepting it and talking about it, and I think in other cultures are far better. They live with it and and make it part of the culture, no? So it's not, I think, I don't know why, but I think somehow we've lost that manner of dealing with it in in an open, natural way. So I think it can be difficult. So I think that, that anything like this that, that reaches out, that helps you to, to find somebody where you can scream and shout your frustration and your pain and your and guilt and anger at the world. And you know, you just want to scream at the world sometimes. And I think that anywhere that enables you to do that and to realize that this is a natural form. This is not something odd. You're not going crazy. You're not insane. It's a natural way of expressing grief. And so I so I did that and it, it, it was lucky. I was lucky that that, that I found that and it, and I came out of it. So then I continued writing. And the next thing, I, I joined a writers group in Valencia, wonderful writers group called Fiction Village, run by David Nevin, um, really good. We would meet up with other writers and share experiences, which is, again, really good. But he also put on useful workshops talking about different things like plot and characters and how to develop ideas. And one of the best things we, before every workshop we would all meet and we all would have just a minute, we have a topic and just free write, just write something there. And then if we wanted to, didn't have to, you could share it. But some of my best ideas that I then developed into other short stories, which I've, and some some I'm still working on now because I have some short stories that, that I've never developed over years, but they're still there. One day they will, they will come to fruition. I'll find the end of the journey. But then um, but it was wonderful. A lot of those ideas that come from just this, this inspiration, just, just from, a, from a prompt, just a quick free write, of just writing without even correcting. And that was really good. And, so, and that helped me return not only writing poetry, but writing short stories, things like that. So, yeah, so that was it. And then and also there's... David Niven also set up um, Blue Sea Writers, which is uh, uh, on the internet for, for uh, putting on uh, uh, short stories so if anybody's interested you can find my short stories on there on the website uh, blue sea writers i'm not quite sure what david's doing at the moment but i, I know that he has uh, um, he has a write in where people can the uh, members could come along on online and you have a, a, a 10 minute chat about what you're going to do or whatever you want to talk about and then Everyone closes down and for an hour and a half or whatever, you write. And then at the end of that, you come back and you either say, I didn't get anywhere and, you know, what rubbish I've done with or whatever, or you talk about whatever you want. But the idea is really to get, get you into a routine of, of writing and also having other people to express your frustration or, or, or your pleasure at finishing a piece at last or whatever. So things like that. All those things for me just helped me get my life back. And, I, and I'm so grateful for those people that were just there for me to discover, because I think at times you you don't know what you need. What you just do need is is to move on. You know you have to move on. I think when when you have gone through a grief like that, it's always with you. Of course, you cannot you can. But I know, and knowing Jackie, living with her for thirty or forty years, I know that she'd be, she'd be up there, say wherever she is, saying to me get on with your life, you know, move on. You, you're, you Don't sit there moping around, you know, We crying over me. It gets you nowhere. You Just get out and, and experience and do those things that you want to do. You know? So I know I have her backing to do that. So now, so now we're up to so now, <laughs> the, next, the next stage where I am now, because I love poetry, as things. So I'm working on a collection of poetry called um, You Cannot Tie a Unicorn to a Rainbow. Which it's a, it's not really a themed collection, but I suppose as the as the title suggests, it, it, it talks about the danger of hanging on to illusions. You know, a rainbow and a and a unicorn. That and it's like the trying to present and the past. You no, know, trying to tie those two things together, you can't. You have to learn. It's coming to terms with, with loss at times. And the interesting thing is that together with a friend, Carmen Bouts, a member of the writers group. This wonderful idea of, of translating my poetry into Spanish. So we are working on this now, this collection. And the idea is to produce, uh, alongside the poem in English, a translation in Spanish. Um, and it's great because it's brilliant for me, for, to, for my Spanish, not only that. But also, it's very interesting having to translate a poem into another language because it means you have to focus trying to find the exact right word that you need for the other language. I think that in your own language, sometimes you can be really lazy, or I can. You, because we we have all these words at our disposal with English, you know, we know English well. But instead of choosing the right word, we take the the, the one that's just at the top of, you know, of the part. Yeah, sometimes um, we just
0: stick to our limited Exactly, vocabulary. and
1: you just take that one at the part. So you put that down and do that. When you come to translate it, Translation is not an exact. It's
0: no word no, for word no. translation. So you, have,
1: yeah. you may have come across, you may have half a dozen words in Spanish that you could use instead. So you then have to look at the nuances of diff- those different words and find out why would I use this word and not this word? Exactly. So yeah. then you, so you start to focus more on no? and then when you translate that back into English, you find finding then, oh well, maybe that wasn't the word I started off with.
0: Maybe that wasn't
1: the right word that I wanted. This is a far better word, man. So now I'm really boring. All my writer friends, this is what I encourage them to do. I say, it doesn't matter what language it is, find a language, translate it, even if it's badly. It doesn't matter, but just do the process and then translate it back. And it always, for me, it always enhances the work because it makes you concentrate and really look at it deeply. So that's my thing. So yeah, so that's what we're working on at the moment. And uh, our idea is we can, uh, later is to maybe do a, to do an open mic night. So maybe reading in Spanish and in and in English. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. Brilliant.
0: So Paul, do I see you have something here to read? Oh, yes. yes, I
1: do. But well, I thought, well, it being. Um, Valentine's is coming up soon. It's coming up to February. I thought I'd, I. So this is not a love poem, but it's a poem about love. So I'll, I'll read this. It's called Love to Go. Don't give me no just add water love. No pot love. No open a can and reheat love. No off the shelf, frozen, no need to defrost love. No mixed, ready to serve love. No love on a plate. No pre-cooked, microwavable, instant, bento box-on-the-go, jump love. I am tired of boiling the bag, reheated love, mass-produced, drive-through love, of limply-garnished, two-day-old, in-a-bucket-to-go, muck love. I crave a locally-sourced love, a free-range love, an organic, grown-with-care, picked-by-hand love. I need a love with dew on its leaves and fresh soil on its roots, a love seasoned by a Michelin-starred hand, a love that melts easily on the heart, a love that tastes of joy and of freedom. Until that love appears, I live my life in a state of romantic anorexia, with the occasional binge followed, of course, by the usual guilt And bulimic days of regret and remorse.
0: Why have I got tears rolling down my face? Oh my god, God, I've had a reaction to your poem. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow. Thank you. I don't know what to say to that, Paul. Thank you. A poem about love. But you just put so much, and I've just had a, a, a very oh my god! I'm wiping oh, the tears down um, from my Is that I, is that the the reaction you course. want? Of course. Well,
1: that is the best reaction ever. I mean, I don't you know, I don't I don't want to make you cry, but for me, that is the that's the most perfect reaction I could I could I could hope for. Thank you, so good. Oh
0: my god! I mean, I can't even speak properly. Sorry um. <laughs> When we think the alphabet, the British alphabet has got 26 letters, yes. all the plays, all the books, the poems, the songs, the films, the notes, the letters, exactly. the emails, exactly from oh. 26 letters. Exactly.
1: Well, in the same way, I always equate writing as well with, them with music. I mean, it only really had eight notes, or, and then, and those notes in between. But I mean, really, I mean, a limited palette, no? And it's amazing just what could be produced. You can have everything from heavy metal to bar all just using those. You can have everything from a a shopping list to a Shakespeare play all using the same uh, letters. Man, it's amazing.
0: Paul, where can people look
1: at your work? So, yes, so anybody interested, they can find the short stories on the website, uh, uh, Blue Sea Writers. Songs, as I say, I, I also write some songs and find those on YouTube and that's it at the moment um, uh, uh, it's really interesting somebody asked and said to me uh, by plays and said um, there's nothing on the internet I, I, I actually I, I, I had to send them a, a photograph of the program I got because the days when I produced that the internet had hardly been invented when I when I was writing plays and unfortunately because the two companies there are no longer in existence they lost their ground but so watch this space Hopefully, when we do the open mic nights and and we were producing the the, uh, the collection of poetry, it will be around and um, put out that information.
0: We have gone from writing the the household newspaper yes. about the washing machine to a poem that just my yeah. God, just thinking about it, I'm still welling up. Okay, you you are such an interesting. Man, I mean the Thank cooking you. and the plays. Yes, it's interesting.
1: As I say, when you approached me and asked me, uh, interested in doing this, I said to a friend, I, um, "I don't think my life's interesting enough to to do a podcast, you know, because it's just a normal, normal everyday life, you know." I said, "Well, I don't know so much, so maybe, you know." But it's it's lovely to have the opportunity to to think back and reflect uh, on it, you know. And I think I've been lucky. I think. Um, I was very lucky with Jackie who supported me whatever I wanted to do. I think that's one thing as well that I would say that you've got somebody behind you that believes in you. you, know? you know? So when you're doubtful, when you're still getting that rejection slip coming back from a theatre or from a, from a publication, we're, we're, always, we're all get hurt by that. It, it's not, there's no easy thing, even now, if I said something often something comes back, that rejection is, it, it hurts. You know? It's difficult. So sometimes it's difficult to bounce back uh on your own. If you've got somebody who's saying, Oh yeah, I love this, it's good, really good, and it's just and it's simple things like your reaction that today, you know, it's just simple things like that, which gives you gives you uh, okay, this is my reason to carry on. No, this is why I this is why I do it, why why you why you that time when you're just staring at that blank piece of paper or what you know uh, and and thinking I'm, you know, I can't do this, you know, I'm a fraud. I and mean, we will go through this imposter syndrome where you can't do it. I'm just pretending I can write, no, but really it's, I, I can't do it. But it, it's just, those are, are the, again, the, the milestones that in your life that make you continue.
0: Yeah. Well, I think up to now, you've had an incredible life. Mm-hmm. I think you've got a, a lot of life hopefully in front of you. And I hope yes. you agree, but I think we should dedicate this podcast to Jackie. Thank you, that'd be really nice. Because yes. Jackie, as you say, she was sort of your support team. Exactly.
1: She, I mean, so uh, what was so nice is that we always worked together. I mean, I mean, you never know whether. Obviously, we're a couple, but you, you never know until you start working together. That's going to. happen. There are lots of couples that say, "I could ne- We could never work together. We would be arguing with the interns." Luckily, we. Working in, in in the restaurant and the pub, we had designated areas. We were both the, the boss of our own individual area. We discuss each individual area, but the final say, like in the kitchen, was mine. And anything in the front of house, or the bar, and doing the, the decorations there was Jackie's. And so we would discuss it, but she would say, "Okay, this is what I'm going to do this." And so and so we, we respected each other for that reason. So she helped me there. She always encouraged me in my music and my writing, and, and she support. I mean, early on, she supported me. Like she was working while I was struggling to to send things off. So I was adding no money to the to, to the rent at all. So without her, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'm really, and really I'm willing.
0: sure she's up there looking down, going, yeah, yeah. "Yes, do it. Exactly. Just do she, one more paragraph. She's, one exactly. More page. She's always there.
1: Yeah, because you always said. She always used to say to me, oh, we have to finish it because I want to read it, you know, like, nothing else, you know. So, yes, so I, I, I owe a lot to her. So, so we
0: dedicate we... the podcast to Jackie. Yes.
1: Um, I do have another sh- very short uh, a short story. Please I, just be a my story. guest. I mean, I just see. You're I'm... not going to
0: make me cry this well, time. I'm...
1: Well, we'll see, but we'll see. It's, again, I just thought I'm on the love theme here, so it's called The Love Tree. I knew it wasn't a good idea, but nobody asked me. Nobody ever asks me. Let them get on with it, to become my motto. They'll find out in the end that I was right. Well, they would have found out I was right if they'd asked me, but of course they didn't. When the time was close, I left the house and waited across the road by the old oak tree, leant on it with all my heavy weight, and waited. The love tree, some people call it on account of all the badly drawn hearts scratched into its bark. So many, in fact, that sadly, the tree is dying. Dying there in front of our eyes, in front of our house. Love can do that to you. When the taxi arrived, I didn't move. I just watched as he sounded his horn into that silent night. Watched as the front door opened, letting out a little light, but no warmth. Watch as the bairn shuffled down the path with that old battered and scarfed brown suitcase in her hand. That old one. By Christ, why not the blue one, the new one? But no, it had to be that old one, the brown one. So old that the clasps were broken, so it had to be held together by an old leather belt. I don't think she saw me in the shadows by the tree, or if she did, she didn't acknowledge did not even glance in my direction, just continued in her slow shuffling like a condemned man making his last walk on death row, carrying all that weight, all that shame, shuffling towards the taxi where she climbed into the back seat. As the taxi drove away, I could see her waving to me out of the back window. I waved back. I wanted her to know. I was there. I was with her for her. But as the car neared the lamppost at the end of the road, I could see that all I had been waving to was the nodding dog sat upon the parcel shelf. Well, thank you so much, Sheila. It's been such a interesting day. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness, I'm just oh wow. The power of words. Yeah. I, I'm just blown away and I'm I'm still reeling from the poem. Yeah. That obviously created a reaction. So that poem is,
1: is the one, one of the ones that's in the collection that we're working on. So, I mean, it, and i just would saying say this, it's pretty really fascinating for it, it, that one in particular, because it lots of had references like like McLove and things like that. And so, that, and so we, dear old Carmen, really had to struggle to find the translations in Spanish equivalent. So that's really... She really had to work hard for that, lesser. <laughs> well, so I owe her a lot of, a, a lot because of her time and attention of doing that. Oh,
0: Paul, it's been a fabulous conversation. Thank you, thank so, you so much oh, you. for taking us on your journey. Thank you so
1: much. And as I say, all I can say is I encourage everybody to create, to do things, to just get out there. I think everybody has got a creative spark in them. Sometimes you just have to find it, whatever it is. It could be painting, it could be writing, it could be anything. But uh, cooking, again, it's just... Finding that and expressing oneself. No, I me—that's mean, me, the—that's the, the reason for living. I
0: think. I think that's a great piece of advice. We will put all the links to the writers' groups, okay. your YouTube channel. Paul, thank you for such a brilliant,
1: interesting thank conversation. Thank you. That's been really—it's been really nice speaking to you, and and thank you for allowing me to. Well, to, just to as I say, it's been good to, to actually reflect on my life.
0: I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please subscribe on whatever platform you are using. It is free and if you would like to tell your story, please contact me on allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and let's tell your story.